Well, howdy, Pastor Mark Driscoll here with my friend, Pastor Jimmy Evans. And Pastor Jimmy, I'm here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale where you are a founding overseer and you and Pastor Robert Morris generously in every way helped us get the church planted. So just on behalf of the family, the church family, just wanna say we sure love you, we appreciate you. And just thank you, things are going supernaturally well. We're really encouraged, it's a wonderful season. And a lot of people are very familiar with you and perhaps there'll be some new folks today. And you've been a pastor to me and many, many pastors, and you've been a great help to me. And so I, I didn't prepare you, didn't tell you where we were going. Um, but having gotten to know you, I'm going to give you my thesis on Jimmy Evans. And if you think it's correct, then I want to talk about three things. If not, then we'll just end the podcast right there. So over your lifetime of ministry, you've been prophecy guy and also pastor, church leader, church governance guy and also marriage guy with marriage today. As I've gotten to know you, here's my, here's my working thesis on Pastor Jimmy Evans. You're the governance guy, the governance of the kingdom of God, the governance of the church of God, and the governance of a family that is devoted to God. And by starting with an understanding of how God architects the kingdom, that shows us how to architect the church. So then we can help people architect their homes and their families in a way that they can live kingdom down in alignment with the governance principles of the kingdom. So that's my thesis, having gotten to know Pastor Jimmy Evans. If you think that's accurate, I would love you to just from your heart, from your mind, talk about governance, how it starts in heaven, how it needs to be expressed in the church, and then how that impacts the family. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. That's very flattering, everything you just said. Um, we love, by the way, Pastor Robert and I love working with you. You're just a phenomenal leader. You've done a phenomenal job there at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale. We love you and Grace, love working with you. Uh, and I'm really glad that you have a leadership uh, podcast because you have such a gift in this area. And, and But the way that you just described me, <laughs> I've been trying to figure myself out for a long time. I think I just did. <laughs> but it does make sense. You know, I look at things from an anatomical perspective. Um, you know, you're, the, the kingdom, I look at it, uh, the church. I don't see the moving parts. I see the, the structure. Mm -hmm. Because to me, it's kind of like your body without bones. It's just a bag of a of, of, of big block, you know. Mm -hmm. But with the structure, the governance, everything falls into place and it operates properly. And so... When I see the kingdom of God, it, it's, it's simple to me, and that is there's a king. Uh, he is the authority over his kingdom, but he's relational. Mm -hmm. He's a he's he's so relational that he died to get into our presence. You know, I heard someone say one time, God wants into our presence worse than we wanted his presence. And that's what the death of Jesus was all about. And so we have a highly relational God within a highly structured kingdom where he is king and there's authority. And if you understand authority, see, when the when the centurion came to Jesus and he said, well, my servant is sick, would you come and pray for him? And Jesus, and, and he, or Jesus said, sure, I'll come pray for him. And the centurion said, no, no, I'm a man under authority. I, all you have to do is speak a word. I know in the spirit. In other words, what he was saying was, I understand you're someone special yeah. in this kingdom. And if you would just speak a word in the unseen realm, then you're subjects would go and do that. And Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like that in all of Israel. Hmm. And so the, the structure of the kingdom sets up the structure of the family. And that is there's, there's authority that we see the, the interesting thing, Mark is 
God never created a government, not one time. Uh, when he created Israel, he was the government. And God's government was a man and a woman. God, in Genesis 1, God came to a married couple and gave them authority over the whole world. Yeah. And when Israel called for a king, uh, God said to Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me because they want to be like everybody else. But God's perfect will. Think about this for just a minute. With all the nonsense we have in our government right now in $27 trillion of debt, God's will was that he would be over every married couple. Yeah. And every married couple would hear God and cooperate in a structured, uh, a structured relational environment, just like the kingdom. In fact, interestingly, in, uh, in Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image. Well, that's uh, Elohim, which is God said, that's, that's Elohim. And that means masculine plural, God plural. So the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit said, let us make man in our own image. Okay, so how does a triune God make one single individual in his image. Well, God created one single individual and God said, that's not good. Mm -hmm. It's not good. He's alone. Everything else God did was good except that. So God created woman and, uh, and he was in their midst in the garden of Eden. So triune God, 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 the father, son, and Holy spirit created a Christ like man, a Holy spirit like woman, with God the Father in their midst. And so you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in marriage, you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So real quickly, so, Pastor Jimmy, would you say in that, that that might allude to why the woman is called the helper as the Holy Spirit is called the helper. They're, absolutely. they're akin in their role. That's right. And so the the uh, the woman in the Old Testament, see the, uh, the Azer, you know, the, the helper, that it, it means two things. It means... To the power to accomplish a task and to supply what is lacking. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in the New Testament. Okay. And so woman, woman was given to man because Adam could never have achieved his destiny without Eve. And so she came as a compliment to him. There's never a reference before the fall of Adam being over Eve or Eve being over Adam. Okay. And we know that if, if man is the head, he's a servant head. He's a Christ-like head. Okay. But it, there's never a reference to, to hierarchy. But their relationship, uh, Eve came to give him the power to accomplish his task and to supply what was lacking. The, it is very interesting to me that the Holy Spirit and women have the same name in the Bible, but it's also interesting that holy women and the Holy Spirit have the same nature. They're powerful, but they're gentle. So when Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, in Matthew 4, it says the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And so the Holy Spirit, you know, and I've known the Holy Spirit, you've known the Holy Spirit for a long time. He is the gentlest person I've ever known. You know, he's never bullied me. He's never, he's never intimidated me. He's, and he's so, women are so maternal and they're so relational. Well, so is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus made this audacious statement. He said, it's better for you that I go away. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty incredible statement. Yeah. It, it'll be better for you if I leave. Well, the Holy Spirit came, and now he's with us forever. And so, in fact, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I believe that the governance of the kingdom, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is modeled in marriage. And then marriage marriage is the first institution that God ever created in Genesis 1. It serves as the foundation for every other institution. 
there was a Harvard sociologist in 1947 named Carl Zimmerman who published a report called Family and Civilization. And he went through every major civilization that had fallen from within, Rome, Greece, Samaria, Egypt, Babylon, all those. And he studied the uh, what happened. Uh, what happened to those great empires, world empires that fell from within? They all have the same eight uh, features. He calls these the eight uh, atomistic signs of a, of a nation in demise. Number one is marriage loses its sacredness. And every, as goes society, as goes marriage, as goes society, and that's the history of the world. There has never been a nation or an empire that was great that rose upon weak marriages. Every great empire or society uh, grew great because they had a biblical form of marriage, even if they didn't believe the Bible. Mm -hmm. But whenever they began to fall, it's because that was compromised. The, the uh, strong type of marriage, biblical marriage. Well, then you come into the church. The church is also a, uh, a, a place of hierarchy. Okay. Democracy ends when you drive on church property, you yeah. know, and I think the worst form of governance is congregational governance, where you have congregation members voting on their pastor. So real quickly and, in that, Pastor Jimmy, right now, and you, you're touching on something. I know you're coaching a ton of leaders through the Gateway Network and also uh, the Trinity Fellowship of Churches, um, TFAC. Right now, I don't know about you, my phone, my email, literally daily blowing up. What is happening is the the flaws in church government are getting exposed under increasing pressure and complexity. Fights over racial issues, fights over political candidates, fights over masks, no masks, do we open, do we close? If we do open, you know, what guidelines do we follow? Civil liberties, I mean, it, it's this constellation of tightly packed issues that are highly pressurized right now in an election cycle. And a lot of pastors are just having board wars and staff wars. And a lot of guys I'm hearing too, the staff is more creative, more liberal, more socialistic, and they're going to war on social media. The board is more older, more conservative, more fearful, not wanting to open, maintain control, reduce risk. And in the middle, a lot of pastors are just feeling completely overwhelmed and unsure what to do. So for guys that are in that spot and they're feeling that pain of government, they wanna serve God, they wanna have a healthy family, but in the middle, the governance of church makes it hard to do God's will and it makes it hard to have a healthy family. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with everything you just said. That's what we're hearing from many different pastors. Well, let me talk about theocratic governance for just a minute. Um, the, heaven, the church is run from heaven down, not the pew up. And we love people, but we don't fear them. And we love people, but we don't do what they say. And um, we'll minister to them, we'll care for them. But when I made the decision to open Gateway a few weeks ago, tremendously positive response, tremendously negative response. Mm -hmm. there's, there's no such thing as an all win, especially in the days that we're living in. So I went and prayed. And um, I'd already talked to the elders a, you know, a month or so before that, but I had the freedom to do whatever I wanted to. But <clears throat> so, so real, real, real quickly, Pastor Jim, just not to interrupt you, I want to be respectful because I love you and you're, you're a pastor to me. But in that, you just made an important statement. You had the authority to open the church. Right. Just for the guys hearing that, that that's, that's a new concept for a lot of guys because what they're being told is until we all agree, 
it's a, it's a red light culture, not a green light culture. No one's allowed to go until we all agree that it's time to flip but the switch to red. There, there, red are, to there are some issues that we, that I wouldn't make unless the, unless the elders agree, you know, some of the larger issues. Um, we did have a conversation uh, in June. Uh, Dallas was blowing up. COVID cases were blowing up. And, we, and, I, and I was planning on opening in June. And I went into an elders meeting. And I said, guys, I'm planning on opening. But with all these COVID cases, what do you think? It was a mixed bag. You know, some guys said yes. Some guys said no. And ultimately, they said, what do you think? And I said, I think it'd be good to wait a little bit. But but when I went, I had the authority to go. So the the theocratic governance means this. Um our number one job is to hear God. And when God speaks, both to uh, Pastor Roberts, my boss, but he's on sabbatical. Okay, So the senior pastor, the lead senior pastor, in with when the elders are not meeting, he's the singular authority of the church. Okay, So he has the authority that elders empower him to act. The elders are not a committee of men. The elders are not representatives of the congregation. They're not politicians. The elders are men of God, and their number one job is to hear God. And so when we come into a meeting, uh, Pastor Robert, myself, we are another elder, okay? We come together with the elders. We discuss the el the issues that we have as a church, the bigger issues. We don't discuss the minutia or things that we have the authority to take care of. But if we had a man in, the, in our eldership that we felt like was representing the people, we correct that. We don't allow that. In other words, a politician. If we had someone in there that was fearful, that was fear-based in his decision-making, we wouldn't allow that. Uh, we, we, we don't do fear. We, we do faith. And in every single decision that we make, we know there's going to be fallout. Yeah. Okay. We, we expect that. You just can't make everybody happy. We want to make God happy. And so what makes God happy is faith. It's Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Okay. And so we have... If I have a word from God, God's going to bless that. God blesses his word. But it's interesting. In Genesis 1, when God created Adam and Eve, it says, God blessed them and said. God's blessing is always in his word. Mm -hmm. It is impossible for God to bless anything apart from the word. And so when I'm preaching based on the word, when you're preaching based on the word, when we're leading based on the word, when we're agreeing together as elders based on the word of God, not fear, but faith, when we're, when we're doing everything based on the word, God's going to bless that. But you were describing this dynamic of this church divided. Everyone over here is more liberal or, you know, uh, less biblical, I guess I would say, more in tune with social media, more in tune with political correctness, all that stuff. Well, if that's if that's your case today, you're just in a tizzy. I mean, that that is, that is a raging sea of changing opinions hourly. Well, then if you're of the old school and you're over here, and you're conservative in a in a fearful way. Well, that God won't honor that either. Mm -hmm. the, the only thing, the leader has to have the steadiest hand on deck. That when everybody else is training, like when they when when the disciples were on the boat with Jesus and he was asleep, they said, Don't you care? He did. He just wasn't worried. You know, yeah. they were all worried. So I have to have the steadiest hand on deck. And what steadies my hand is the word of God. But if I if I made my decisions based on the opinions of people. It's torture. As a leader, it's just absolute torture. I know people are going to leave the church. I know people are going to write bad things about me. I know I know people are going to get mad at me for any decision that I make. Sure. Okay? So what am I going to do? I'm going to make the decision that I think God wants me to make and walk by faith. 
and stay in line with the scripture as much as I understand the scripture. I think, Mark, we're living in a very fear-based culture, even within the church. We're also living in a culture of my granddaughters uh, are going to college this week. Um, They're enrolling in college. And this is a a very conservative Christian school um, in Alabama. And uh, both of their roommates have told them, I'm liberal. I hate Trump, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And my granddaughters were like, this is a Christian university. Why would you be telling I me? Mean, they're liberal. This is a very liberal culture that is anti-biblical. They're not non-biblical. They're anti-biblical. The church has to stand up for Jesus in these days. Let me say, all the liberal denominations are dying and closing. Yep. You show me a liberal church, and I'm showing you a dying church. And they could, it, it's like trying to you know, hang a pork chop around your neck to get the dog to play with you. Once you start, stop preaching the Bible. And once you stop standing on the word, God will no longer bless that church. And you start dying. And then you have to beg people basically to come. And how do you beg them? You keep lowering your standards. Yeah. We accept anybody. Anything's okay. And so they're dying. The churches that are exploding, like your church, uh, Gateway is growing. Many churches are growing. They're Bible-based churches with theocratic governance, that they're doing what God tells them to do, and God is blessing them. So theocratic government, um, meaning the pastor's primary duty is not to please the board. The pastor's primary duty is not to pull the people, get their opinion, and then serve them as if he were the concierge of the church. Primary goal of theocratic government and the senior leader is know the will of God. And that starts, number one, with the scriptures, and number two, a, a devoted prayer life where you are connected to God through the Holy Spirit. And so I'll ask you a real controversial question. Is it possible to have truly theocratic government and leadership if you're a cessationist and you don't believe in the personal ministry of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think, I think that's torture. Um, the, uh, the most precious thing in my life is the voice of God. Mm-hmm. And the voice of God has led me from 19 years old until I'm about to turn 67. That's awesome. The voice of God has led me from there to here. And I look back and the voice of God is the most reliable, steady uh, force in my life. And I treasure it. If I didn't hear God, I, I think I'd go crazy. I, how do you get messages? You know, I mean, I guess you just, you know, get some kind of a message, but how do you get inspiration? How, how do you know how to lead your church? A a cessationist, in my opinion, is just a sitting duck. I just don't know how you do life in such an evil world with such an active devil when you don't have the power of God operating through you and guiding you. So what does that look like very practically for you as a leader to get with God, to hear from God, to make those decisions? Because what I'm seeing a lot of pastors do, they keep having staff and board meetings saying, what do you guys think? Well, it's fine to listen, but you need to hear God first. I know a lot of churches, they're polling their people, which I guess I'm not against it totally. But at the end of the day, the Hebrews would still be walking around in a circle in the middle of the desert somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Well, it's torture. Well, so we tried to use wisdom and we wanted to be a part of the solution for our community. And so there was a period of time that we didn't meet. And I know some people said, well, we just trust in God and whatever. Okay, fine. But for us, we felt like wisdom is protection. There was a point in time during COVID that God gave us wisdom and just said, hey, social distance, stay away for a while. Okay, the, um, We believe that 
in coming back together, when we're coming back together now, that this is the will of God. But let me talk about just practically about hearing God. So um, uh, everything that God gives us is based on grace. I have never one time deserved to hear God. I, did, I don't deserve to hear, hear God right now. His, he, he's gracious. His throne is a throne of grace. And when it says to come boldly before the throne of grace, the word boldly there means frank speech. It means utter honesty. Not Don't be religious. Don't be plastic. Come, tell God everything that's going on and how you feel and what you're wrestling with. And he'll give you mercy and grace to help in your time of need. So I, I wake up in the mornings and uh, I spend about 20 minutes looking at news, weather, and sports. Uh, right now, less news, more weather and sports. And not and a lot of sports them. now either. I mean, well, they're, they're coming back. Yeah, in empty back. stadiums, it is weird. Do you think the cow? Okay, just we'll get to the really important stuff. Do you think the Cowboys will have fans in the stadium? That's really why we need to be on this call. Well, our, Jerry Jones is—he doesn't care. He, yes, there will be. <laughs> there, there will. And we're season. And we're season ticket holders. <laughs> but oh, you know. Anyway, it, you know, you just have this. So I wake up and I look at the computer just to wake up. You know, drink some coffee. And then I journal. I have an online journal um, that that I, I had a physical journal for many years, but I've stacked up so many of them, I didn't know what to do with them. So I have an online journal, and I, I write, you know, what's happening in my life, what's happening in the church, and you know, kind of what God's saying to me. And then I read, I read this. It's called Bible Gateway. I have it's a read through the Bible every year. Mm -hmm. This is just my personal devotion that every day I read Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, Proverbs. And um, so I do that. And then I'll typically go walking um, and I'll go walking this morning. I walk for about an hour and 15 minutes and I'll go walking and praying. And, uh, and during my prayer time, I'm praying about everything that I'm burdened with, everything I need. I'm praying for direction. I'm always praying. I, I pray through the Lord's Prayer and I begin with worshiping God uh, and thanking him. I ask him to fill me with his Holy Spirit every day. And then I go, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. And that, the word kingdom, there's the word basileia. It means rule. And when I'm praying, Lord, let your kingdom come, what I'm praying is, Lord, I, I'm aligning myself with your rulership. I'm acknowledging your authority. God only speaks to servants. Uh, God, God doesn't speak to free agents. So if God's going to speak to me, I've got to come into alignment with his authority. And what I'm saying is, Lord, I don't want you to agree with me. I want to agree with you. I want to be able to understand what your will is in all these areas. And then I pray for provision. I pray for forgiveness. I pray for guidance uh, and then so on and so forth. So every day I'm coming to God boldly. And the other thing about my devotion life is I talk to God about every single thought in my mind. There's nothing. If I had a bad dream the night before, I talked to God about my bad dream. I talked to him about my temptations, my struggles, my fears, my insecurities. I just talked to him. He's my very best friend. And that's what God loves. God loves just a personal. He doesn't like the religious, plastic, you know, withholding kind of stuff. And I used to do that. You know, so I've been guilty of that. But God is my father. He's my best friend. And so when I talk to him, it's always a dialogue. When I walked this morning, I was walking and praying. And several times the Lord interrupted me. And it was like, okay, I want to say something. Yeah. And so and he'll, it's just encouraging. He's so encouraging. Um, you know, he gives me direction, but it's just such a personal relationship and it's all based on grace. It's not, it's not anything I feel like I have to deserve. 
He's just such a present, gracious God. And I can go back into uh, my life and leadership and just look at hundreds of markers of where God says something. And by the way, in March of 2016, I was praying one morning and the Lord said to me, uh, Robert's going to offer you a job. I, did, I, worked, I, I was working at marriage day and doing other things. Robert's going to offer you a job. And the answer is yes. And after a while, uh, Robert's going to sit down and you're going to become senior pastor. And when the Lord said that to me, I thought, that's the craziest thing I think I've ever heard in my life. I told Karen, I said, can you imagine me working for Gateway? Two weeks later, Robert offered me a job. Hmm. Two years later, he almost died and went in the hospital. And I walked into Seamus Hospital room and said, you're senior pastor until I come back. And then when he came back, he said, I want you to stay on. He said, I'll be the lead senior pastor. You'll be the senior pastor. Think about that for just a minute. The, out of nowhere, the Lord spoke that to me. And it all came true. Yeah. And I look back in my life, and, and the, the importance about the word, of, the word of God is, it's like a path. And you look back in your life and say, I followed the path of a still small voice. And it led me to this wonderful place. I didn't follow a path of opinions. I didn't follow a path of fear or, you know, the, or, or rebellion. I follow the path of the voice of God. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And I believe if, if we're the God's sheep, I believe that God desires to speak to us. And as a leader, it's, it's the most important thing. They asked Yonggi Cho one time, the world, pastor of the world's largest church. They said, what's the secret of your church being so large? He said, we pray and we obey. Hmm. That was that was the total wisdom he had. So, Pastor Jimmy, you bring something up there. And uh, I, I think it would be fascinating. I, I, I love you. I pa love Pastor Robert. And. You guys have invited me into some of the apostolic leadership meetings and elder meetings, and I get to learn by observing. So thank you for those opportunities. But the thought of someone of Pastor Robert's, you know, responsibility and position, founding senior pastor, uh, church is doing incredibly well. And then probably most people know the story. I mean, he almost died or, you know, clinically he may have even, oh, yeah. he may have even died. Yeah. He may have even been clinically dead. Um, and, and in those circumstances, when there's a vacuum of leadership in most churches, even a small church, it's a crisis. There's a power grab. There's, you know, the number two is trying to become the number one. The board is trying to level up and use it as a power grabbing opportunity. There's division within the church or a spirit of fear sets in and the family flees. Gateway weathered, uh, you know, a really complicated, potentially catastrophic moment with the senior leader very unexpectedly, and it was very public. So you can't even, you can't even sort of manage the information flow privately. Yeah. And the church not only maintained, you know, life through it, it actually grew stronger and healthier. And then when Pastor Robert came back in my, you know, in my observation, um, came back to a church that was at least as strong and unified as the one that he left, you know, to recover physically. How did that possibly happen? Because I think for Gateway, uh, part of the strength is the governance structure, the singular headship, the plural leadership, which is in the Trinity and in the family and in the church and also the theocratic government. But it was really tested in that moment. And that test that Gateway went through with you and Pastor Robert was far bigger than any other church that I know of uh, has gone through uh, in that kind of scale. What are the lessons learned through that? How was the government proved? Um, what, is it, what does it reveal? Well, the very important question, and that is everything was done beforehand. Mm -hmm. uh, 
in a in an elders meeting uh, years ago, the elders decided if anything happened to Robert, I would step in. And and let, let's just talk to the pastor of a smaller church for a while, because you said, well, you're a gateway church, you know, you can solve all your problems. Well, money doesn't solve problems. Is that you know you have to make those decisions in advance. Um, so a smaller church, even with a pastor that's 40 years old, what would you do in a crisis? You know, how, what would happen if the pastor was incapacitated for moral failure, for a physical problem, for death or whatever? Mm-hmm. So let's just say that in your church, the, the average church, let me 150, 200 people. So you say, we don't have the financial resources to hire somebody, you know, on that level. Great. Find friends, other pastors, other mature leaders, that, that your congregation knows this can't be a stranger. This needs to be someone that's in relationship with your church, that you trust with your church, that has the wisdom and stature that you would hand it to them, and they know your congregation. And you, through resolution or through bylaw, you make that decision in advance, and you tell that person, if anything happened to me, we want you to know we're going to ask you to step in. Great. It could be an itinerant speaker or whatever. The power grab thing is a big deal, Mark, as you know. Mm-hmm. And what you have to be able to trust in a person is their character. Is this a person that I can turn the church over and I can come back four or five or six months later and they're still going to be loyal to it? Because in the absence, people bond to you. You know. So when Pastor Robert was sick for, for four months, he was out for four months. Well, I was in the pulpit the entire time. And so, and, and of course, I've been there since the very beginning. And so if you want to take an opportunity to do a guy in, that's the perfect opportunity. But the difference was I wouldn't do that in a million years because Robert's my friend and I, I fear God. But there are people out there that don't fear God mm-hmm. and, and they'll, they'll stab their friend in the back, you know, for, for that kind of a congregation. I think that you have to develop healthy relationships and you have to have healthy bylaws or a healthy resolution that that preempts an emergency. Mm-hmm. And that's what Gateway did. My, the relationship that Robert and I had, uh, and I was not on staff until he got, I guess I was on staff for a couple of years, but the relationship that we had created a trust that he goes into the elders and says, if anything happens, I want Jimmy to take my place. They said, great. So me stepping in absolutely averted disaster because if I wouldn't have stepped in, on the pulpit, they would have had to get guest speakers. Yeah. And, but in the, and, and, the fam- and the family needs to hear. So here's how I would see it. Uh, tell me if you agree or disagree. Well, first of all, I was, had dinner with uh, Chris Hodges some years ago before we planted. And he said, the key to a healthy church is good governance and good relationships. If right. the relationships go south, the governance can fix the relationships. Um, if the relationships go south, then the governance can, can, they can balance one another. He said, if you don't have good governance and you don't have good relationships, it's a crisis. It's so, terrible. So what you're talking about is a structure that has warm relationships in it, but then also in the apostolic government structure, and when people hear that from my background, many think, oh, those are the authors of the New Testament. Actually, Luke wasn't an apostle, and he was the primary <laughs> writer of the New Testament, and the 12 were eyewitnesses to Jesus, but there are others in Acts that are called apostles. But uh, to me, an apostle is more like a spiritual father or grandfather. And I see Gateway as a family. I see Robert as the father. Dad got, you know, sick. He got, I think it was maybe a demonic attack. That'd be Robert's decision to make. But I mean, you know, physically he's, he's, he's under fire. You step in and it felt more 
from the outside, like dad is hurting, that's okay, grandpa's here. Right. And grandpa knows and loves the kids, but grandpa is not going to betray dad. Right, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. The, the apostolic is the most natural generational type of governance. See, it's like this. So you have a pastor in many denominations. The Methodist denomination is an example. The, in many of the Methodist camps, the pastor rotates every four years. And so how can a congregation ever bond to their pastor? That's like a family getting a new dad every four years. Yes, it is. And so it's traumatizing, number one. But number two, after going through three or four pastors, my job as a congregation member is to protect the church from you because we're here to stay and you're going to leave. Yeah. So so you have this horrible dynamic. The other thing is this. So let's just say a pastor has been at the church for 25 years and he walks up and says, I'm retiring. God bless you. And he leaves. They form a pulpit committee. They bring in someone else who's never been in a relationship with the former pastor. Former pastor, there's no there's no relational bond. He comes in, changes everything, traumatizes the congregation again. Okay, it's not natural. So it, in Amarillo, and you know Jimmy Witcher in Amarillo, I was in Amarillo for 30 years, and I raised up Jimmy Witcher, and I turned the church over to Jimmy Witcher. I talked to Jimmy Witcher yesterday. I go back and preach at Trinity on a regular basis. I'm still the senior elder there. What happened was I was the father. I had a son. He grew up. I gave the church to him. Now I'm granddad. Mm-hmm. He has all the responsibilities, but we're still in relationship. He took all of my DNA and honored it, but he has new DNA that he's using to take the church to the next level. It's natural. It doesn't traumatize anyone. That's God's way. But the Western church has more of a, a corporate mentality than a church mentality. When I say corporate, I mean like corporations. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, uh, dispassionate. It's uh, it's not based on relationship, and it's certainly not generational. And the way we say it is, we believe that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob should be living in the same house, loving each other, and that's the natural way. My friend Mike, Mike Hayes says it this way. The reason that God identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is because anything that can last for three generations can't be destroyed. Hmm. And so I believe if you can create a multi-generational church, that makes a healthy transition for three generations. You've created a you've created a powerful thing, but most churches grow for twelve to fourteen years and never grow again. Yeah, and so it's it's not just one generational. It's not even you know that long. But that governance, you've got father and son, which just denotes love, respect, um, you know, deference, but also um, transition of authority, and then in the home. You know, a healthy family, the, the dad is going to love the kids. And then someday they're going to go start their own family and he's going to position himself as grandpa, but he's still going to be available for wise counsel, for resources, for love, for support. And the church doesn't have that governance structure that represents the kingdom or the family, which leads to a dysfunctional governance structure in the church. And so, you know, when, uh, when you made that transition, I don't know if you remember, I jumped on a plane and I went to Amarillo because uh, I wanted to be there. There's only one time that you make the succession from the senior pastor to the next senior pastor. And, and I got to spend the day with you. So thank you for that. And what I would say is uh, just prior to that, I won't name any names. I don't want to be negative in any way, but there was another pastor that I knew that was of a similar age and he had transitioned. And I called him after he had transitioned. And I said, well, how's the church going? He said, I, I don't know. I said, well, you know, how are the people? How are they handling the new pastor? 
how's the finances? You know, how are people? He said, I don't know. We don't attend there anymore. He said, so when I, when I resigned, I left. I was like, that's crazy. You, you just should have went from dad to grandpa. That's right. That's and, right. And help dad and be dad's advocate and be there to coach dad. And so then when I flew out and I, I met with uh, Jimmy Witcher, who now has become a friend, um, he loves you. He calls you a spiritual father. He, 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 he really loves you. He grew up under your teaching. He very much respects you. But he is a very competent, strong, capable leader that has clear vision for that family. Uh, but he still loves dad or grandpa, his dad being invested and involved. And I've just seen that so rarely, but when it happens, the church is healthy. Then if something does happen to dad, grandpa can step in and help as opposed to, as opposed to the strongest personality on the staff or the domineering person on the board or the pulpit committee goes out and hires a hireling. The way you get a hireling is you hire someone. I mean, all of those mistakes really hurt the people. It's unnatural. And, and the, the church has just been so poorly governed. And it's something we have a passion for, you have a passion for, obviously. And uh, your governance is your future. And I heard a guy on TV and he said, uh, he was a dietitian, And he said, if you show me your diet, I'll predict your illnesses with accuracy. And when he said that, I thought, I don't want to show him my diet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but if you show me your governance, I'll predict your problems with accuracy. Mm -hmm. I can tell you where you're going. I'm going to tell you what happened, what's going to happen. Because, you know, one of the things that I've done, and I, I, don't, I, didn't, I don't enjoy doing this. I don't know how it got on my resume. But when a lot of churches are having major problems, you know, moral failure, their pastor or some type of horrible thing, we get called in to help. Yeah. And so I feel like sometimes I'm like church CSI. You know, I'm going into the crime scene to try to investigate, see what happens. But you almost always have lack of authority, uh, a pastor without accountability. Uh, you have poor governance, very poor governance, and you have lack of relationships. Those three things are a setup. And so the opposite of that, of course, would be you have authority, you have good governance, and you have good relationships. I want to use you as an example in this, Mark. Your, your church is just so incredibly healthy. I was there with you last year, whenever it was, in your services. And I just sat there and I just thought, I would go to church here in a heartbeat. It's just so healthy, so so loving and relational. But Robert and I and Randall have helped you, um, you know, when you started the church. Yep. And you you developed, and we developed that relationship. You know, you, you came and sought us out and developed those relationships. Well, today, if anything happens to you, you've got some strong guys sitting next to you. Mm -hmm. We've got we've got resources, and we love you, and, and we don't want your church. We, we, we've got a church. And so it's a good feeling. Yeah, it's a, it's a good feeling to know I've got the right structure. I've got accountability, but I've got friends that if anything happens to me, you know, they're going to come and help me. And so that's what's lacking in many churches. In fact, this is the saddest story in the world, but you know my son Brent. Uh, Brent got a call from a pastor one day and he said, Hey, Brent, do you want, would you go on this trip with me? And this guy lives up North. Brent doesn't know him that well. And Brent said, well, I'll sure think about it. And he said, well, the, my, my denomination is painful. And Brent said, Oh really? Why are they paying for it? And he said, well, um, we have a, a crisis in our denomination that our, the pastors don't have any friends. Uh, and he said, they told us, if we would find a friend, they would pay off for us to go on a trip together. Wow. And he said, would you be my friend? 
Wow. I mean, my heart absolutely broke. I just and the the denomination is having a crisis. That my best friends are in the church. Yeah. My best friends are my pastors and elders that I work with. These are my best friends, the people I hang out with. And to think that there's a pastor out there that can't find a friend, it's heartbreaking. It's not natural, Mark. It's just, it's not family. Well, and so to, to echo that, I was teaching a, a governance class at a southern a branch of the Southern Baptist Seminary here in Phoenix um, about a year or two ago. And I told the pastors, please bring your wives, and I want to talk about governance and family and church structure and all, all that practical stuff. And I just asked, uh, I said, how many of you uh, are a pastor? All the men raised their hand. And I said, how many of you are married to a pastor who doesn't have a pastor? All the wives raised their hands and started crying. Uh. In the church, everybody gets a pastor except for the pastor, and every family gets pastored except for the pastor's family. And so to me, healthy governance is not just the board holds the man accountable, but the pastor gets a pastor so that before crisis hits the marriage, before they burn out, before they self-destruct in some way, the pastor is helping pastor the pastor so that they're healthy, so they can have a healthy family, and then that health flows through. And so, you know, for me, there's, Grace and I have a short list of people that we agree on are our pastors. And it's, it's you, it's Robert. Um, it's, it's another man who's a certified clinician and counselor that we've met with for years, and he's been married over 50 years. We love him very much. And also, uh, we look to and love Pastor Larry Osborne, meaning speak into our life, hold us accountable. If we got a question, we know we can call, and we can call before it's a crisis, and we can call for help, whether it's governance or marriage or leadership or whatever. And honestly, it has put a tremendous relief of burden off of me. Um, and it's provided tremendous security for Grace because she knows that we're not isolated and alone. And it takes the pressure off of some of the staff and leaders in the church because they know that we're loved and cared for and overseen, but they don't have to bear that burden. Right. Um, and so for us, it's been an incredibly healthy season. It's, it's made our family super healthy. Church is super healthy. We're super healthy. And, uh, and I think you're right. I think a lot of it is the governance and then the governance in it has to have the relationship. So I guess in closing, to honor your time, for the guys that are hearing this or the pastors that are hearing this, and they're like, that sounds great. I would love to have a pastor. I would love to be able to lead. I'd love to get time with God so that I could hear God and then lead boldly while still being accountable, plural leadership. For the, for the guy who's hearing this and the, the situation that we're all under right now, all of these complex variables, he just realizes, or they realize, him and his wife realize, our governance structure is just broken. This isn't working. And as you said, it makes way more sense to establish the governance during peacetime than wartime. That's why I planted a church. I wanted to set the governance from day one, make it healthy, and, and not have to do a remodel project later. For the guy, it's too late. He's in it. I don't know if there's a great answer. I'm asking you, what, what advice would you give that guy? who's in it and it's not a good system and it isn't working, but he's stuck with it for now. What does he do? Develop relationships outside your system. Okay. And um, that, in other words, the, for example, Gateway Association of Churches, Trinity Fellowship Association of Churches, you, you're, you're an apostle, you're, you're very apostolic. Find someone outside of your system that's healthy. 
You know, it's like going to marriage counseling. Don't go to someone who has a bad marriage and ask him for advice. Mm-hmm. And don't go to your buddy who has a crummy church and ask him how he's doing. You know, is find someone that is that you can develop a relationship with who's outside your system and they're doing well. And if you don't know anyone like that, we invite you into our camp. You know, come and come and talk to us. But, uh, you know, I met with a group one time, the denominational group. It was just absolutely awful, Mark. It was terrible. I mean, it was the most, the, their churches were awful, liberal, terrible. And I, I looked at them and I said, guys, why are, you, why are you in your churches? I don't understand why you're doing this. You're all miserable. Yeah. And they said, they own our buildings and they own our, and they control our retirement. Mm-hmm. And they were prisoners because of the buildings and retirement. And I understand that. You know, I'm 67. I get that. But I think sometimes you just have to be, follow God and be, you know, be careful. But I think sometimes you just have to get out of that system. If the system won't change and your heart is to pastor a healthy church, uh, our, the Ark Network, Chris, those are our great, friends, Chris, great you know, great people. There are people out there that can help you start a church. They can help you plan a mm-hmm. church, a healthy church. Uh, relational church. And so the, I, I'm not against denominations because I think denominations can serve a purpose. And I think there's some good denominations, but there are also some dead denominations. They're just totally dead. And the denominations are the more controlling people. If you're in an independent church, it's more changeable. Mm-hmm. You know, you can change because you're not in necessarily a system, but sometimes there are, there are very controlling denominations that won't let you, very, uh, uh, you know, deviate from their, from their way. And, I'm especially critical of those situations because it keeps the pastor immature. They don't trust the pastor to hear God. They don't trust the pastor to make decisions. They don't trust the local congregation to take care of their own family. And so it's very, very patronizing and very unhealthy. And in those situations, I think you either have to develop relationships outside your system, even if you're in the system, or you have to get out of the system. Mm -hmm. And I think you need to pray and hear God. But, um, if it were me, I would get out of the system because I, I, I just don't think I could function in that and remain healthy. Awesome. Well, I love you. Thank you for your time. Would you be willing just in closing, just to pray for the pastors, their families, leaders? I mean, you know exactly what they're dealing with and up against. You bet. Thank you, Mark, very much. Father, we just agree um, that these, these pastors and the leaders watching right now, that they're going to be free to think new thoughts, free to expand, to change. Uh, Lord, I bind fear and anxiety in Jesus' name. Every spirit of fear coming to try to talk us out of doing what God's telling us to do. And I pray, Lord, right now that you would unstop spiritual ears. If there's any pastor that maybe through trauma, maybe through failure, maybe through busyness, they just, they're, they're not hearing your voice. I pray, Lord, that you would unstop their ears make them hypersensitive to your voice. I pray for your presence to guide them and give them peace. But Lord, Mark and I agree right now, a blessing on every pastor, leader, and church and ministry represented that you would do a new thing, Lord, and that our hearts would be like uh, wet clay in your hand, that we would be completely ready to do whatever you say, to go everywhere you tell us to go. But Lord, we pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done in this very critical hour. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives and in our churches. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you, my friend. Thank you for your time. Love you, Love you too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.